That night a master showed up. No master was ever like this. Superhuman strength, unkillable, like a machine. We didn't stand a chance. So tell me if I'm wrong, Cardinal. But couldn't he be the one that we always talked about? The one that we knew would come along one day. Welcome to Screen Run. I'm your host, the Lady Juan, and I'm here with... Chris Scalza. Screen Run is the show where Chris and I discuss the films of a particular artist or franchise, movie by movie, and in season three, we're talking all about the films of John Carpenter. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the 1998 movie, John Carpenter's Vampires. And we are lucky enough to have some unprecedented back-to-back returning guests in this season. Like, we can't get any luckier, I don't think. So thank you, Jason, from Binge Movies, for making history with us. Thank you for having me on. (laughs) And especially for this movie, I know you were desperate to talk about this movie, right? I was desperate to make sure that Joe was not the only one (laughs) who did back-to-back or like dual appearances in a season Mm -hmm. or whatever, because I can't, I will not allow myself to be beat by Joe. I mean, he held, held the title for almost no time at all, and then just immediately. Less than a couple of weeks. That's how weak yeah. he is as a man yeah. and a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> a punk. He's a punk. Pantsless wonder, that guy. Did he have pants on when he was recording with you? He never has pants on when he's recording with me. Uh, we didn't ask. Was he in the basement? Yeah. Yeah, there were no, there mm-hmm. were no pants. <laughs> if, he was, if he was sitting down in that basement holding his microphone, was he holding it himself with his hand? Yeah, 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 yeah. No pants. <laughs> That's a good point, because only one yeah. hand was visible the entire time. Yeah. Yep. Son of a gun. The rest was for oh, Kurt no. Russell. That's what you could. Then show us his toys uh, before well, we started. <laughs> I don't want to know about that. I love Joe, but I don't love him that much. <laughs> I am I am disappointed, though, because I don't mean to be a prima donna, but I came to this show expecting you know a, 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 a luxurious trip to... The greater Tampa, Florida region. Um, mm-hmm. That didn't work out this time, unfortunately. Um, mm. I then expected Chris to mail me some top level 4Ks in exchange for this appearance. That didn't happen. <laughs> and, then he, well, and then he tried to use some janky fly by night spyware product to do this call and nearly broke my computer. <laughs> Listen, I was able to download it from this Chinese website. <laughs> yeah. So I think it should be totally fine. Yeah. yeah. If you see a pop-up, just ignore it. I'm not saying that Chris is a plant for the Chinese government, but I'm not saying he (laughs) isn't either. What if this whole show is an elaborate con (laughs) to get people to download? Spyware onto their phones? Chinese spyware. Yeah. 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 It's embedded in our episode. That would explain a lot on Chris's end. (laughs) Well, my freedom phone has given me a lot of, you know, (laughs) options and freedom. (laughs) Who needs freedom when you have Chris Galzo? I'd be a benevolent dictator. I think I'd be okay. I've listened to all three seasons of the show. I don't think there's anything benevolent about you. <laughs> You're dark, man. You, I will not take the slander. <laughs> you are an icy, cold podcast veteran Chinese spy. <laughs> I, well, I said it is true. Yeah. I mean, okay. you, you sided with Uncle Ben with the Christo-fascist uh, government. Last week, I listened to that episode that came out a few weeks ago. You were like, "Yeah, send fornicators to the electric chair." I heard you. You live in Florida, for fuck's sake. <laughs> that is, you're you're a mere seconds away from that because 
of the fact that you keep voting for these uh, these authoritarian. <laughs> That's it. I've, it's this a weird thing about Florida. Is if you reside here, you automatically support all the uh, no that, policies no, of your whack job true. governor. The only the only one keeping democracy alive in Florida is the lady one. <laughs> That's true. Her single okay. vote every midterm is is keeping what remaining books you have available to children. Very few. That's right. <laughs> That's why they have pride parades and lady one parades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been trying to get that Mao's biography into the libraries too for years now. Yeah. But so far, to no avail. <laughs> well, I'll keep working on it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's called f- famines and fortunes. The uh, <laughs> see untold st- story of Chairman. And it's Mac. on your, your nightstand. Yeah. <laughs> Autographed <laughs> by the chairman himself. That's yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's passed down in your family from generations. Do the good work, son, and you're like, yes, I will. It was weird <laughs> that he signed it, the Mao dog. <laughs> <laughs> He just signed it the chairman, I thought. You, you, yeah. That's right. That's, yeah. that's not the chairman is not Frank Sinatra. He's not the chairman of the board. Not for no. me. <laughs> oh, blue eyes can suck it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When he says I did it my way, that is white devil propaganda. That is capitalist <laughs> propaganda. My way, mm-hmm. there is no my way. The only only way is my way. I did it my way. Well, he's too. He's singing the whole time uh, about China. It's not New York, New York. If I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. He's talking about yeah, yeah. heathen capitalist society that's full Mm -hmm. of individualism. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm glad this is how we start. (laughs) (laughs) The app he downloaded is not malware. It's malware. (laughs) Do your own research, folks. I wish my James Wood clip uh, of getting wood was edited down to him just saying, "Did you get wood?" But it sadly, is not. I don't. W- I don't want to bring it around already because, like, when you reveal what's behind a bit, it's not as funny. But I've, of all the bits I've done, I feel like this last ten minutes has been the most obtuse. So I need to explain it. Um, Chris is not a part of the Chinese government, uh, but that conspiracy theory is something that perhaps James Woods would tweet today. So mm-hmm. I was coming on the show as if I were like mm-hmm. a James Woods type who has gone, w- went, somehow went from Videodrome, which I don't know, I guess it could be kind of conspiratorial, to uh, just a right-wing crank on Twitter. Yeah. No, the guy is just a unrelenting piece of shit. Yeah. So that's how I came on as an unrelenting piece of shit towards you, Chris. I appreciate it. Because that. it was a joke, but then I thought, I, I, mm-hmm. I have to explain it. So. This is frightening to me. This makes sense because my notes about this movie include the phrase, follow the money and open your eyes. <laughs> so I think I also caught whatever James Woods And that's is, the other uh, piece of this, right? Dealing. <laughs> the plot of this movie is yeah, crazy bishops want to live forever. Open your eyes. They're drinking adrenochrome. <laughs> if you want to live forever, you got to crucify James Woods and drink his leg milk, his leg blood. I got to tell you, I did enjoy that image of seeing him. I, I appreciate, you know, I I guess he would even consider himself now being crucified on the altar of cancel culture. Exactly. But, Is that uh, when it started, Chris? Let's him. break it down. Did it start oh, there on the film? Well, it was called politically incorrect back then. <laughs> did leftist but, uh, John yes. Carpenter cancel James Woods? <laughs> 
And then you took, it's a good point because you bring up too, it's the Catholic Church and mm-hmm. you have the whole thing with him and Amber Tamblin when he hit on her when she was like 14. Mm-hmm. Did the movie flop because it was pro-religion? Because one of the Baldwins says, we know God is real. And that's why this movie flopped because secular Hollywood wouldn't support a film like Vampires. I think that's exactly what happened. Okay. Though, I think it's, um, if I read this correctly, Gene Siskel was a fan of this film to a ridiculous degree. Four stars. He wanted Woods nominated for an Academy Award. Oh, we'll get into it. So what are we talking about? (laughs) Uh, We're talking about John Carpenter's Vampires. I can't believe when you just look up Vampires, it's that easy to find this movie. That doesn't seem sense. Like, like it makes any sense. Not according to my algorithm. I had to hunt. I put vampires in. Well, you got a lot of weird <laughs> shit you're searching for. We can't yeah. count you as like a case study. Here. And it, you, no. And it's to be fair, Juan, your algorithm is probably John Carpenter focused at this point as well. Maybe I did do it on my work computer during a conference call. <laughs> so well, maybe not. <laughs> it was it was a lot of introductions, and I was like, I know who everybody is. <laughs> I just started working on some this. IT guys like vampire. Somebody's. Like- I, know, <laughs> I know that they're definitely yeah, looking. Goes, John Carpenter's <laughs> family. What is wrong with her? It's 9 a.m. 9 a.m. Look at vampire. is a Twilight girl. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody can relax, though, because vampires may be kinky, but they are not homosexuals. <laughs> you may no. even get a nice F, F word drop. This in the movie too, wants you to yeah. know that Dracula is not a homosexual. <laughs> <laughs> Copyright-free, royalty-free Dracula is not a homosexual. He won't be marching any pride parades this June. He's a God-fearing, red-blooded vampire. Heterosexual. Forget whatever you've seen in the movies. They don't turn into bats. Crosses don't work. Garlic? Want to try garlic? You stand there with garlic around your neck. One of these buggers will bend you fucking over and take a walk up your strata chocolata while he's sucking the blood out of your neck, all right? Strata Chocolata. <laughs> and we know that this Dracula ain't no gay because when he bites a woman, it looks like Cunnilingus. <laughs> That's right. I, I was I referred to that as an Australian kiss. It's like a French kiss, but down under. Ooh. That's anyway. <laughs> so but I so that Strata Chocolata per Carpenter on the commentary was an ad lib by Woods. It felt like an ad lib. It felt like James Wood trying to do Dennis Miller. Is what it felt, sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> or Dennis Leary. And I think all, or Dennis Leary from Demolition Man. I think all almost all of the really kind of ribald or that stuff was every time Carpenter was like an ad lib by Woods there. Yeah. Okay. So let's, I don't mean to derail you, but I already did. So let's yeah, keep going. Keep going. Uh, uh, <laughs> so let's break this down. Mm-hmm. Um, James Woods. I'm assuming the homophobia was also ad-libbed, or was that written by Carpenter? He didn't address he that. Didn't spe- okay. So let's say, mm-hmm. hypothetically, since we don't know, it was just more James Wood riffing, you know, ribbon on the square, so to speak. Yeah. Isn't it ironic that somebody who is so scared of gay vampires spends the majority of the movie, including its closing lines, talking about giving other men's erections and wondering... <laughs> What their erections are made out of. Mm-hmm. Audrey, can I ask you something? Yep. Yeah. I was kicking your ass back there. Did I give you wood? What? Huh? You get a little mahogany from that little ebony? Come on, tell the truth. 
<laughs> just fucking with your father. Forget about it. <laughs> and there's there's scene two when he he's tied up at the end. Yeah, uh, he basically tells Varric, "Let me out, you know, let me out here. I'll well, fight me up." And he's even that is tinged in kind of um, insulting his manhood mm-hmm. and a little bit of I think just a dusting of homophobia in that as well. He just vacillates back and forth between homophobia and homoeroticism. Mm-hmm. I think they tend to go hand in hand. Well, that's what I was going to say. I think you guys living in Florida know that a lot of folks against <laughs> drag shows. All, Every time a photo crops up with them in the most outrageous drag that would make Trixie Mattel blush. You're just like, you're the draggiest drag queen who ever dragged. And now you're voting against it, Lindsey Graham or whoever, you know. Yeah. Lady G. Lady G. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that's, but yeah, it's the Ted, Ted Haggard effect. You know, it's like the people who are most vehemently uh, are uh, fearful of the gay agenda, the gay vampire agenda. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> are themselves often gay vampires, like the bishop in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is this is another documentary, just like they live. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's also where I was going with it, because you guys, I've listened to the whole season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think your They Live episode is the single best episode you guys have ever done Aww. for the show. I thought it was a phenomenal Thanks. episode. Chris, especially... I thought you did an excellent job on that. It was really good stuff. Um, so far, not so good here, but go ahead. I <laughs> die. I was like, oh, yeah, it's real. It's a documentary. John Carpenter's showing us the truth. So that also kind of informed the way I came on and disrupted your show. It feels right when you're dealing with James Woods. It just feels like you yeah. have to. You have to be this way. <laughs> I, I disavow all of those beliefs, by the way. I don't believe it. <laughs> I appreciate the clarification. <laughs> but I think um, when we cut clips for the internet. <laughs> I don't think we're... When Chris cuts these clips out, it's just going to be, the gay vampires are taking over. <laughs> Turning the frogs gay. <laughs> yes. uh, so, Juan, what happens in this movie? What's uh, this about? Well, well, this movie is based on a book. Can you believe that? That is called Vampires, but the S is a dollar sign. Yeah. Like, that's, why didn't he do that? Come on, man. It would have been cool. And then, well, I think it's somewhat different than the book. Yeah, uh, it is. Says, like he kept the dialogue the writer said, but there's a couple got rid of most of the plot or something like that. Mostly, it's not exactly the same story. Um, I think the things that are in common with the book is our main character, his characterization, his name is the same, and then the idea that it is um, a troop of vampire slayers funded by the Catholic Church, while also being publicly traded. Though that's why the dollar signs in the name yeah it's not um it's a different world versus the world in this film um because in this one they specifically say like they keep their numbers small they they try not to be high profile like explaining away why nobody's heard about vampires being real um so it's a different different scenario i think this vampires book sounds more in line with like the sookie stackhouse novels uh that true blood was based off of where like the what? Sookie Stackhouse. I'm sorry, did you not it's watch a made up term. Her no, name is Sookie. Stackhouse. I, yes. I know Suki from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. I don't know Sucky Stackhouse. Sookie. Where were you for the <laughs> entirety sucky. of True Blood? I didn't watch it. Well, that's I'm listen, I'm in the James Woods camp in this <laughs> very specific <laughs> thing. Don't ever say that. <laughs> that I am not a fan of 
of weepy emo vampires. Okay. I'm not a big. I'm, I'm more of. You a, have not seen I'm, Eric Northman. I'm that a man Gary Oldman guy. Weepy. And I, well, I will say though, I am a Franklin July guy, but still. <laughs> okay, let's a reference that you would prefer. It's uh, it, the world of the book is like Ghostbusters. There's so many vampires. There is like a public service. There's a corporation that just slays vampires, and they're publicly traded, and their ticker is like vampires with a dollar sign. Yeah. <laughs> that's the idea. But they're also secretly funded by the Catholic Church. Yes. I like that. That's that's a fun concept. I'd like to have seen maybe a little more of that. It ends bleakly from what I understand. It's a, a kind of an I am legend uh, yeah. situation. Because it's really like basically corporations are vampires. So mm-hmm. corporate greed sucks the life out of people. So it's like a kind of metaphor. And then, you know, the Catholic Damn, Church, I bro. think, is not doesn't come off very well from what I understand. So... <laughs> Why? Have they had any issues? <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Okay. That's good. Yeah. But this is John Carpenter finally getting to do his Western, kind of. This is this is it. Um, yep. And he also said he always wanted to do a vampire movie. And he said, you either do classic Dracula and you do it right, which that feels like shade, because he said that in like 1997. <laughs> and like Bram Stoker's Dracula had just come out a couple years before. So that feels yeah. like he was kind of throwing some shade. He said, or you do something new. So this is his something new. This is his something different. I, I like the general concept. I mean, some of it's lifted from the book. But the idea of this is just, this is part of the underworld. This is ugh, not that underworld. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that general concept is cool. And the idea of, well, let me just explain who our characters are. If you haven't seen this movie. Uh, it's on Netflix, by the way, but it is? fuck Netflix for not letting people share Whoa. passwords. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Okay. I said it's rude. It stars James Woods, as you may have noticed. He's our lead vampire slayer at 51 years old. He's mm-hmm. our action star of this film. I feel like that's John Carpenter. I know he's, as we've discussed, he's eternally an old grumpy man, but he's representing for the old men. Yeah, well, I think. Most of the cast in this is perfectly cast for what a carpenter's trying to do. Yeah. I think what he's trying to, you know, just <laughs> well, the story he's telling, he's nailed exactly everybody he wants because Woods basically is that guy and who he is in this. When film, I see Daniel, Ma- Daniel Baldwin, I go, that guy's name is Montoya, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was originally supposed to be Alec Baldwin, but he had a conflict. So he said, get the brother that sounds just like me. And so they cast him instead. If if you close your eyes, <laughs> can I say that I, you were talking about it being a western, and it is. I think mm-hmm. that it's actually one of a trilogy of westerns because Escape from L.A. is a western, and obviously, like a Southern Precinct Thirteen is a western, and it, it's a siege film. But that's the last one I talked about, mm-hmm. and Ghost of Mars, which you haven't seen yet. Nope. I don't know if either one of you have seen it. It's also oh, a yeah. western. So mm-hmm. um, this is just like the middle of this this trend that it goes on, and I actually think that. Um, Despite the beautiful John Ford S landscape wide shots that he puts in this movie, which I actually do look very, very nice. This is the best looking movie he produced in the 90s. And don't forget the Leone slow zooms as well. Yes. Uh, I think James Woods is horribly miscast. Um, <laughs> because it, it to me, it either needs to be like Kurt Russell. And I know you go that well too many times. Or like Clint Eastwood. The guy's got to either be real older and really grizzled, or he's got to be slightly younger. And we the, the late 90s were the time of like the middle-aged action star because Arnold and Sly and all those guys were starting to get up there. And 
mm-hmm. and um, you know even um, Bruce Willis. So this is like in the era of like a racer and uh, those sort of movies. And they're all kind of getting aged and their jeans were getting higher and the leather jackets <laughs> and the sunglasses. Like that look was like the, that's just what all the action movies kind of look like basically until the matrix a few short years later. And I, I just, I think the, I agree with you lady one. I think the concept here is really strong. I think the tone of it is almost right. It's kind of like a mix between an EC comic and a, and a Western. I think that juxtaposition between dead towns in the Southwest and vampires is really interesting in the same mm-hmm. way that I think 30 days of night is a great concept because if vampires existed, they probably, and it like, and, and this isn't the first one to do it. Obviously there, there's near dark um, and there's, there's like a subgenre of vampire Westerns, but I still think this one's really interesting. This could almost have been pitched a little bit differently, like a tales from the crypt movie when they were making those in the nineties. Yeah, yeah. I would have preferred this as a tales from the crypt movie than Bordello of blood. If we're going to do vampires. Sure. But ultimately, James Woods is horrible. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying it he's fails good the movie. It. The movie fails, I'm, I think, because of James Woods. I mean, the script isn't that great, but movie fails because of James Woods. I think it's Carpenter's, but I think he has basically kind of a Woods in mind. At least the way the the attitude and the just a total general jackassness of the character and stuff. It's just right yeah. in Woods' wheelhouse. But I think... So, yeah, so I'm saying he's perfectly cast for what I think he's trying to do with it, but I think it's a mistake. And Because yeah. ultimately that John, Jack Crow, John Crow, whatever his Jack name is. Jack Crow. Jack Crow is supposed to be... I don't know, like a likable asshole, I guess. And the, this movie has the disservice of coming out between... From Dust Till Dawn... Which kind of already did this <laughs> really, really cool with George Clooney mm-hmm. and, and Quentin Tarantino in these roles. Yeah. And right before Blade. Blade. Which also is like, what, what if it was like vampires, but they were Euro trash. <laughs> and Wesley Snipes killed the fuck out of them. So you're stuck in between these two, like, pretty, really, like, cool, especially for their time, exceptionally yeah. well executed vampire movies. And then you have this fledgling one that has a lot of the same tropes as those other two movies and just cannot execute on them because even Wesley Snipes, barely speaking, has way more charisma as sad vampire Blade, the the daywalker, than James Woods. And George Clooney certainly does, Mm -hmm. right? This should have been, and actually by default may actually be, but this should have been Carpenter's last great movie this should have been a comeback film for him because it's mm-hmm. right in his wheelhouse it's a genre movie it's a comic book movie mm-hmm. it feels yep. like it's something out of like tales from the crypt like i said or like an ec comic and it's a freaking western mm-hmm. like and the score is actually pretty good for this movie he kind of there's he's yep. got like a you can tell like he has like this like creative resurgence in him where yeah. like he's trying and the movie looks really good except for the fact that it has too much of a 90s sheen on it. Like mm-hmm. when they pull out all of their vampire weapons out of their vampire truck <laughs> and, and all they all look like fucking plastic toys. Like they all look like it should have been, I might say it needs to be Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark where it's grittier, but this is a ragtag underground team of vampire hunters. Why are all, why does all their equipment look like it's just shiny out of the box? Like the prop department fucking failed this movie. And it's like a nitpick, but it's like it's like it's like I'm kind of jiving with it. And as soon as like they pull out the 
Because even the concept is cool of like mm-hmm. fucking lassoing these vampires and ripping them in, yeah. and when they explode, that's awesome. It's really cool. But then it's just like it all looks cheap. It all looks like it's too slick. I think yeah. props and wardrobe are atrocious yes. in this movie. Yes. Like I know, I know that the late nineties were a tough time for clothes, but <laughs> but they're back, baby. Yeah, boy, are they back? <laughs> um, it's distracting. Yeah. When I was watching this, I was like, I can't believe this came out the same year as Blade. That's confusing my brain. This feels like, like in the late nineties, your high school in your early twenties, you see Blade. Your dad goes and sees this movie. Yeah. This is your dad's vampire movie. Because it's starring your dad and his jeans. Like, that's <laughs> what I was watching. And, and I watched it in 1998 with my dad, <laughs> who dressed like this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and my dad was like, this movie stinks. And I'm like, yeah, it does. Because here's the, you know, the one time I start to believe James Woods is a character, to your point, Lady One, is towards the end when that leather jacket finally gets dusty. When it gets all beat up and dusty and he's covered in dirt, I'm like, oh, suddenly I get what the character should have been the whole time. These guys, that the hunting crew, okay, can I back up and just say, (laughs) Carpenter has now gotten into this thing that I fucking hate in the 90s. Because I've been listening to every episode of your show and I've been dying to say this. Oh, no. Mm. He montages all through the 90s. Over the best parts of his goddamn screenplays. <laughs> the stuff that he used to fixate on in the 70s and 80s that made us mm-hmm. love him, he fucking montages over it and goes to boring shit. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you about that, your thought, because that Motel Massacre with the dissolves oh and my the God. subtle slow-mo. Before that. Subtle slow-mo. Before the massacre, which should be amazing, and it is still kind of good. It's but still pretty it, cool. He, he, he fucks it up. We should see how, as ragtag and drunkenly and sinfully as this team is, we should see that they are effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they clearly are. And so we should see, when they're clearing the nest, you shouldn't just see one vampire and then they just dissolve montage through it. Then we go to the massacre and dissolve montage through it. We need to see them kicking vampire ass hard. Mm-hmm. And all the gory detail and then juxtapose with it takes a whole team of them to kill one vampire at a time it only takes one vampire to kill all of them yeah and we should see that in all of its glory because then valak is a threat Mm -hmm. if you montage over the cool factor yeah of how cool this team is then we don't give as much of a shit when they die and we're not as surprised and if you montage and dissolve over how absolutely animalistic the vampires are especially the masters in this movie then they're not a threat and so then eventually when we get to their seven vampire masters yeah and then when they just fucking after killing like two of them they just disappear and it's just back down to valak and a bunch of fucking randos i mean it's just like he fucked it up i'm sorry to say this i love john carpenter but between mishmashing screenplays in the book and then how he chooses to direct the best fucking scenes in this vampire movie yeah this is not studio meddling. This he fucked this movie up, and I hate to say that because it's there. I can't it, this is a John Carpenter. The pieces movie. are there. It's just totally yeah. presented 
incorrectly. Like, yes, there's all of the action is front loaded. Yes. And then nothing happens forever except for in flashes through Cheryl Lee's eyes. And then but they never give you enough time to get attached to what's happening in those scenes. So it feels like no action has happened for an hour, even though many people have died. And Daniel Baldwin is just flip flopping back and forth between being a very like they needed to be juxtaposed. What's, what it feels like is Montoya was actually two characters and they just mashed it into one character. Because mm-hmm. in the same scene, he'll be like, I got you some food. Get, you need to get dressed. Oh, you need to make sense. sure you eat. It'll stop the spare of the virus. And then the next is like, you fucking whore, you bitch whore. It's like... <laughs> he- Punches her in the face, yes. and then a couple of minutes later is like, "You're safe here. I've got you." And I'm like, "You are the yeah. one who punched her. What are you talking about?" Because it feels like it was two characters, right? And they just mm-hmm. smashed it into one and kept the gave him all the dialogue. Seems yeah. like it. I I have a, a whole whole lot of issues with that whole thing. Over James there. Woods <laughs> should have been the son of a bitch, yes. and Daniel Baldwin should have been the sympathetic one. So that in the end, spoilers, when Baldwin <laughs> is going to turn, mm-hmm. it's a tragedy. Yeah. Because he's the good guy on the team, the moral conscience of the team, so to speak. And we also know for a fact, just like in a classic goddamn Western, that James Wood is going to hunt his ass down and kill him. Yeah. Because yep. he is a cold son of a bitch. But instead, Baldwin is intermittently a horrible bastard mm-hmm. and a very nice person. Yep. <laughs> And James Woods is just fucking annoying and stupid. Yeah. And then he lets the vampires go with a truck with all the goddamn vampire <laughs> killing equipment. Fuck you, vampire Daniel Baldwin. Walk your ass to Mexico. <laughs> I need the vampire hunting equipment to hunt I'm you down you and days. kill you in two days. Exactly. I just, I like, I, this movie frustrates me the most because, again, I cannot emphasize it enough, Juan and Chris, compared to Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. Body bags, <laughs> Masters of Horror. Uh, although his episode is, of Masters of Horror is fucking, it terrified the shit out of me with Ooh. Udo Kier. You ever see it, Chris? No, I think I, I don't think I have, and I think Holy, that's what we're closing with as our wrap up. It's about an alien, or not alien, an, a snuff film where they murder an angel. Jesus Damn. fucking Christ! And when they play it one time, it drives everybody to like in the theater to disembowel themselves and rip their own eyes out and all this sort of stuff. And there's a scene in that where they, somebody finds the film and they want to reshow it. And because they don't believe the stories about it. And of course shit goes crazy and it ends up where the guy ends up feeding his own bowels into the reels of the film. Uh, Oh my God. It's the darkest thing he's ever fucking made. And it's an angel snuff film. That's the premise of it. It's fucked up. Um, anyway, <laughs> something to look forward but to. This is better than that. <laughs> this is better than cool. Escape from LA in, in theory. Like, this is all like this should have been it. This should have been the triumphant return of, yeah. of Carpenter. And it might not have completely worked because, like Lady Juan, we were deep in the throes of Independence Day. Like, we had moved on from yeah. the gritty genre movies of the 80s. But it would have been, I think, another one of those cult classics that yeah. probably by 2010, we'd have been like, hey, it didn't do that great, but Vampires kicks fucking ass. Yeah. And instead, it's like, Vampires looks pretty good, and it kind of fucking sucks. <laughs> it did. Um, so it did, bizarrely, open at number one when it came out. It was kind of the only movie that opened that weekend. 
Well, that helps. I, I should you not. It's the only wide release movie that came out October 30th, 1998. So it made $11 million its first weekend. So that's a thing. It made like $20 million in its full run, which is like the budget. So that's not not good. But people showed up to see it that first weekend. So, you know, it could have done a little something. But it didn't. (laughs) I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're like, it could have done something. Pause, pause, pause. But it didn't. (laughs) Well, then it dropped to number eight the following week, too, right? So Yeah. uh... Yeah. Big old mm, nope. Um, Again, the movie that was number two the weekend this came out was Pleasantville. Is that a movie forgotten to time? Is that? Like, uh, <gasps> I love Pleasantville. That is, yeah. I've never you... seen it. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Paul Walker. Mm. Yeah, it's Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire, and uh, what's her name? Joan. Oh, uh, what's her name? Allen. Joan yes. Allen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I I very much enjoy it, but that's a sidebar because I need to complain about Cheryl Lee's character right now for a while. Okay, so, go ahead. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Chris is just resigned. <laughs> has this show killed your love for John Carpenter? It it has listen, helped. Watching, I know. I clearly he's lost a few miles off his fastball. I mean, the that's one of the big things, like, issues I have with it too. Is I'm happy he brought the gore back. I'm very, you know, yeah. Greg yes. Nicotero does a good job that with that stuff. But again, it's still like you said, Jason. It's too clean. It's too, it needs to be grungier and dirtier, mm-hmm. and it just isn't. That's an issue with not just his films, but a lot of movies in the 90s. But you're right. He, yeah, he just, there's something there that he just lost. I don't know if he just lost his ability to scare. I, I don't, I'm not sure what the exact problem is outside of that whole sheen that all this stuff in the 90s tends to have on it. But I mean, it is. I feel like he's too rich. Mm. So he's just like, yeah, people wear new pants every day. This is, the first, the this is the first day that James Woods is wearing these jeans. Like, I think he's too rich to see that 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 crew showing up in completely clean clothes with completely clean weapons. Like, they don't look like the crew in Twister. They don't look no. like they've been sleeping in those clothes for days. Like, staying at a shitty motel in the middle of nowhere. Like, I knew you were going to bring that up because, especially <laughs> with <laughs> Daniel Baldwin dressed as Dr. Alan Grant in the Jeep. <laughs> I was like, we're either getting a Jurassic Park reference <laughs> or we're getting a Twister reference because they are that ragtag team yes, of like and, characters. But they yeah. should look like that. They yeah. should have a couple of yeah. beat up trucks and yeah. they like James Woods' jeans are brand new. Like And they're in the desert. Yeah. And apparently most <laughs> most vampires have nests in the desert. Sure. Because sure. they're like <laughs> they're like scavenger animals. They just sort of pick yeah. off these small towns where they will go on up, which is a cool concept, right? Of like yeah, yeah. stay on the radar. So they should be fucking covered in dust and dirt yeah. and blood and vampire guts. And oh my god. Nah. It's so it's way too I I'm s I didn't mean to derail you there, Juan. Tell us then how Cheryl Lee's character is a champion of feminism. <laughs> oh my god, it's horrendous. It's it's horrendous. Um it made me honestly. It made me feel a little bit better watching the like behind the scenes of her talking about it because she was just mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, becoming a vampire is a transfer of energy, and that's what happens during sex." And I was like, "Oh, okay, so you believe this? That's fine. I'm glad you you're on board with all of this <laughs> because I think it's terrible what they do with her. She is female sex object, the character, 
her only interactions with the three like main men in this movie, like the master vampire Montoya and Crow, they're all sexual interactions. I I understand that she's a sex worker. So like that's going to happen in this movie. But then she is stripped for no reason other than to have a sexual interaction with the audience. Like it's not, Mm -hmm. it's just for you as the audience because everybody else got their chance with her. That's what's happening. Carpenter basically says as much in the commentary. There's no other reason. It's gross. So you could have her still be in the movie, but it would be so much better if she was on the Slayer team. She gets to be part of the ass kicking in the opening attack. And then she's like, maybe she's the only woman on the Slayer team because it's the 90s. So there's only one woman allowed to do something you know, in a group. Not in Twister. There's two women. That helps. That helps. So she's our only woman in the Slayer group, and she is not partying with all the local talent after the successful raid. And that's why she's attacked by the master is because she's away from all of the, the boys being bad. And I don't know, studying some like vampire text in her room and she gets attacked by him. And it's a fucking tragedy for her that she's going to turn into this thing that she's hated. And that gives her character an actual arc instead of just being passed around from person to person. And she's just like a demonstration of woman turning into monster. It would be so much better if she was actually a vampire slayer. Instead, she finds out about vampires the moment she's being attacked by one. Um, And then her and Montoya falling in love makes a whole lot more sense than he spent about 24 hours with her. And now they're both vampires and they're in love. Like, it, it comes out of nowhere because he also beats her up. So if they were on the team together, there's so much more reason for them to be together at the end. And it gives more significance to her actually turning into a vampire. And it would just be better. I but. think that he half wrote it. And I don't know where her character comes from. I don't know if she's a book, whatever, whatever. But I think he half wrote it because what he's, what he's going for, I think, is in the Western after the caballeros, the cowboys, or the rough riders, or the regulators, or whoever, uh, mercenaries, whatnot, you know, come back from robbing a stagecoach or doing looting, whatever, whatever. They come back to town, and they go to the local brothel, and they party with the women or whatever. And there's always that, whether it's the main madam or whoever, one of the sex workers who turns out to have like a heart of gold and but if you watch some of those westerns especially the better ones and especially like the revisionist westerns that like spaghetti westerns and revisionist westerns um especially ones like Eastwood was doing later in his career those sex workers in most of those movies end up being actual characters and have right. like conversations and, ha- and are um have agency she and barely the, says two sentences at a time and i think that's the biggest problem is like yeah. If you're gonna, if you're playing around with that motif, and she's the hooker in the town and with the heart of gold, who the one of the cowboys falls in love with, then she's also got to be a person. Yeah, and she's she's just an object. So yeah, if she's just gonna be an object, then then make her a slayer or mm-hmm. f- fulfill what you're setting up. <laughs> like he just stopped. Is like this random person that we don't care. And I like I get the idea of like. James Woods is like, oh, we can we can use her and we can try it. Like that's kind of a novel concept, but she's yeah. never she never she just kind of just gesticulates on a bed. No, and grunts. they don't. They that's don't it. do anywhere near enough with her. No, 
to to justify this. So no. if if she had been a slayer, then then also the whole idea that she's like, I'm going to throw myself out a window. I'm going to kill myself. Yeah. Because right. I don't want to become this monster. I don't I don't know anything about her. Like you've not established anything other than she showed up to the motel yep. to work the gig. Point. But if she's a vampire slayer who is like, I can't become the thing that I'm trying to kill that again significance then that that's a, an emotional experience with her and Montoya and we can understand their relationship building because um, I really feel like Carpenter thinks there's like a little love story for the two of them Ugh. and that's really upsetting because it's horrible well to your point too like because we don't know her and she's not a character when she goes to kill herself subconsciously i'm like you better do it because yeah. you're gonna turn a, into a vampire you gotta get out you're gonna be a vampire right <laughs> like i want vampires to die yeah. vampires yeah. are the bad guy of this movie yeah you should probably kill yourself <laughs> <laughs> i'm not being like oh no honey please don't hurt yourself right. i'm like i don't give a shit yeah go ahead mm-hmm. jump yeah like all yep. right it's a real bummer because it could have been cool the idea of like the psychic link between the victim and the master like that's cool that's yeah. that's interesting but she just then by basically the third act, she just stares. She doesn't even talk anymore at that point. She's just making crazy faces and trying to murder Daniel Baldwin slash make out with him a little bit. It was- but she's ex- I think she, she, Lee was excited finally when she did the turn, <laughs> yeah. right, where she's actually will become a vampire because then I think she says like now I have now she has agency now she's instead of a victim and suffering from something she can kind of just move on but you know you're entirely right i think one thing would have been interesting too but it's not the film carpenter is making <laughs> is what if she is she is a sex worker and then you have this whole th- th- theme or story about the because vi- it's a virus right is one thing that baldwin says to her and mm-hmm. then you have a whole std thing you can run with it and then impacts maybe she's got a kid all this other stuff right you add some real pathos and depth to her character but that's like you said, that's not what she's here for. Carpenter has her in this movie, so she can show he can show you a butt shot, yeah, yeah. and then um, well, Chris, you've seen a bu- her around. You've seen a bunch of the bunch of westerns, right? Neo westerns, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's always the one sex worker that maybe has a kid, and maybe the kid's Daniel Baldwin's kid, right? Right from one of the other times because this is some little town that they always come They're through. They're going to ride around in a circle and, over and right. over. Right. Yep. Yeah, and so like you know, maybe they haven't been there and couple years or whatever and they're back in town and they call up all the ladies from the sheriff gets all the the ladies together and and then yeah this is like a somebody on the team is in love with her and she's you know it's just like again if you take any of her ideas which is basically just ideas from movies yeah and you just put movie ideas on this character (laughs) this person and yeah. she's an actual character, and it enhances this film. And instead, he like he started to write something and then just stopped. And there's so many instances of that in this film mm-hmm. where he starts an idea, and then it just kind of... And he's well, like, okay, well, this is how that idea ends. But he didn't write anything in the middle. There's no meat to any of these ideas. Yeah. He's got a slow-mo montage to get to, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> he's got about four or five of them. <sighs> Is your sl- is your soul now in a slow mo montage? <laughs> You're broken. I think this show has broken you. I'm looking for well, I'm the watching end. these little things, like little <laughs> moments of joy. Yeah, right. Like when when the vampires shift up out of the dirt, right? You know, I'm thinking, oh, Fulci. That's a nice little Fulci reference yeah. there. When the zombie yeah. kind of comes out, you know, I enjoy that. Or the 
I focused on the score a lot. He worked with Steve Cropper, Duck Dunn, Bruce Robb, and Rick Slosher when he, to create the score. These are legendary session musicians. Mm-hmm. And there are some moments of real... There's one thing, too. I even wrote it down. It's like the, at the one hour, ten minute mark. Where the, there's a little part of the score that actually expands a little bit into some strings. And it's actually fucking beautiful. Mm. Right? You know? And it's... <laughs> And, I'm, and then it repeats later on. And I'm like, oh, like John, right there. There's like a seed of something gorgeous you could expand in this film. And it's just, again, it's just dismissed later on, right away. And there's a lot of that in here, unfortunately. That's so. an apt metaphor for this whole movie, though, right? Is yeah. That there's so much in here that you're like, this movie should kick ass. This movie should be cool. This there's seeds yep. of everything. There's mm-hmm. seeds of something interesting here. Um, I, like I think one of the most interesting things that this movie does, and it, it's almost kind of a late '90s trope at this point, because Dracula 2000 did a version <laughs> of this. But the mm-hmm. idea of vampires are the result of a failed exorcism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I that like that's dope that's, as hell. Yeah. So that they're they're it's like a. It's a botched exorcism, so only the evil remains, the soul is gone. But now they're just evil incarnate, but the body won't die. Yeah. So they're like this weird form of living dead. I think that's exceptionally interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, oh, okay. And like, it's the same with Dracula 2000, where like, oh, the twist is that Dracula is actually Judas. <laughs> and his penance mm-hmm. for betraying Jesus is that he had to walk the earth. And because he was re- was responsible for the shed blood of Christ, um, that then means that he has to drink blood. It's a curse on him as a sign of what his betrayal. And that's also why vampires are allergic to silver and so forth, because of the coins of silver. Yeah, I love that, too. Was that's it, what a Craven great idea. Shitty movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the idea here. C and Gerard Butler. Yeah, yeah. The idea here. Great idea. I love the fact, yes, it's a Fulci reference, but I love the fact that if they are these sort of desert, scavenger buzzard predator raptor sort of things these almost like birds of prey mm-hmm. they burrow yeah they don't they don't sleep in coffins lined yeah. whatever sets you know lined coffins they burrow like a desert predator does mm-hmm. like a snake yeah. and when it gets cool enough they fucking rise up out of the dirt and come to your little podunk town and rip people to shreds with that with their yeah. claws, and that's so cool and yeah. scary, yeah, and ripe for amazing action sequences. And we kind of get some of that, and then he just very slowly, slow mo <laughs> montages over it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Johnny C, what happened to you, my guy? He has it, and then he loses it. He's like holding it in his hand, and then it just falls through. Can I ask you guys a question? Since I've done this journey many years ago, mm-hmm. yeah. watching all of his movies, and now not as in a concentrated dose as you guys did. <laughs> did you? Did you have the same experience that I did? Where, especially because his '90s run is is pretty rough. Did you have the same experience that when you got to vampires and it looked like <laughs> uh, it was like wide shots and like just it's lensed very well where you're like, oh shit, oh yeah, this might be a movie. And then you're like frustrated with it. Like, you know what I mean? Did this is this like the embers of the last of his ability, you think? Or or was it another one? Was it Village of the Damned? Because uh, Village of the Damned to me looked like a TV movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I still can't believe that was in theaters. 
it's and then like to me. like Escape from L.A. is is what it is. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like him, really, to me. And then you get to this one, and it it feels like feels like somebody him. making a John Carpenter movie. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, yeah. Then you get to, but do you know what I mean? Like, did this one, uh, Juan? When you got to this, where you're like, oh, this feels like primetime Carpenter. Yeah, I was like I was minutes. excited to start, <laughs> and then it's, also it starts with like so much action. Yeah. Like it's not done as well as it could be, but you don't know that it's that's the best it's going to be when it starts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're like, yeah. oh fuck yeah, let's go! Oh my god, they just exploded into flames, and now the priest is giving last rites to a charred vampire co- corpse. Like that's fantastic. Let's go! And then after like 25 minutes, I was like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's over. Oh man, those vampire explosions are mad. cool as fuck, though, aren't yes, they? Yes, they just yeah. Like, like firecrackers, it's so cool. Multicolored, yeah. yeah. I mean, I love that because I did see this in the theaters when it came out, and I was disappointed then too. And going through this whole season again, I look back and I'm like, "This guy made the thing," which is like a perfect film in my opinion, yeah. and it it's flawless. And I just I see all of this that happens afterwards, and it, the diminishing returns really. I don't know what happened. If the failure of that film just broke a part of him, I don't know what it was because everything finally came together, but it just didn't work in, for the public. Mm. And then ever since then, because like I'm not a big fan of Christine, it's okay, Starman. Big, it, even Big Starman's Trouble in China great. for all your way off base, Starman's great. Yeah. <laughs> big Trouble in China for all its goofiness is it's it's beautiful. I don't know. Super fun. Big Trouble in China is so much fun. It is absolutely. It's a blast. And Prince of Darkness has its moments. Strange, but I mean, as he fuck. never, he never. I don't think he ever sniffs the magnificence of the thing ever again. But I, I don't as, know. As far as like a total product, I, th- I would agree with you. Yeah. But I think they live. They live is I think maybe the the closest thing to a true blue comic book adaptation anybody's ever made. That movie feels well. Big Trouble in China does too. That feels yeah, like yeah. if you were like, hey. You know what comic books are in the eighties? Let's make that and do a live action movie, <laughs> and that's it. Like because the Marvel movies, they're not really Marvel comic books brought to life. They're weird adaptations where they have to kind of make fun of the fact that it's, ah, it's, it's Iron Man, stupid, right? The whole time. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Carpenter's just like the aliens. You're fucking an alien. Roger Ebert's a fu- he's an alien. You're and and they, that chick at the bar with the big tits, she's an alien. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that's, and, they're, and they're all Republicans. Ron Reagan's an alien. He's trying to bring down your country. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so, all. That's great. EC comic stuff. Yeah, and I think it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. But no, I just I think it's just that '90s stuff. I'm not sure. Crater. Like you say, I said earlier, he loses a few miles off his fastball. But here, it's just I don't understand it because it's like. One bad decision after another. Yeah, like you said, Compounding it looks great. Bad decisions. Yeah, but it's just—I don't know if there's a. Even when I listen to the commentary, and again, his solo commentaries, I just are not terribly interesting for the most part. <laughs> but you're listening to him; he it definitely feels like all right. Well, I'm getting like five grand to do this commentary, so let's just get through this type of a thing. That's what it feels like the whole time. Just like Juan said, it has some. It opens. Strong, but I'm watching. I'm, I'm like, uh, doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. It's then it proceeds to fall apart. Imagine this movie directed by 
Assault on Precinct 13, John Carpenter. Yeah, I think they, uh, that's what I'm trying to say, right? If yeah. you give me late 70s, early 80s, mid-80s Carpenter making this film, then I think, yeah, and you're right. It was a perfect vehicle for him to kind of say, hey, assholes, I'm, I'm still here. Yeah. yeah. The guy, we what we need is the guy who didn't fucking flinch to kill Kim Richards. Yeah. We needed that. Yeah. Like, I'm going to build this tension. I'm going to build this tension. And just when you think that little girl's safe, I'm going to just have a v- seemingly very realistic squib of blood just poof in her chest. Yep. And then, and yeah, and just the, I'm going to build that tension. Like, I, the last time I appeared in your guys' show, like, I, that scene at the end after those two guys have been through hell and the smoke is in the end of the hallway and in the smoke, just, I don't know how they did it, just <laughs> dissipates just in time yes. to reveal the two of them alive and standing there when the mm-hmm. other cops finally come in. I'm like, if that guy <laughs> made this movie with, with with as good as this cinematographer is, and the, mm-hmm. and the you know and the 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 quality of camera that he would have had here in the film stock, this movie should have kicked ass. The two movies that he should have, to your point, Chris, been like, I'm still fucking here, assholes. It should have been in the mouth of madness. If anybody could have done that movie, it should have been him. And it doesn't get there for me. And it should have been this. The other ones, like, I don't know anybody that could have made memoirs of an invisible man with Chevy fucking Chase into anything interesting because everybody was at odds with each other of what that movie was supposed to be from yeah. Chevy mm-hmm. to the studio to him to, I mean, how many fucking writers got fired and directors? I mean, they got rid of Ivan Reitman for God's sakes. Yeah. So that like Carpenter, that's not his fault. He was, he was screwed to begin with. He never should have taken mm-hmm. that job, but he's a working director. Um, Village of the Damned. You know the the budget just really isn't there, and that you could say, yeah, there's studio meddling there, and there are moments where it is unsettling and stuff. But overall, it doesn't really come together. And he's got a bunch of examples of that, but this one, he, uh, <laughs> he had the money, he had other than James Woods, but even then, James Woods is a is a a minus at this point level actor. Mm-hmm. It, it, this yeah. movie doesn't have nobody's in it. No. Cheryl Lee's a few short years removed from Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. It, the people who do the uh, makeup effects for this, although the Valak makeup's no good, but uh, it's you don't like Tommy Wiseau in this movie. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's Greg Nicotero, right? Isn't it Disney working yep. in this movie and his yep. the K and B yep. guys or whatever they are and yeah, his group and it's here, it's here. This was it, and he just doesn't. It's a screenplay. He j- and it's a direction. He fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. I love him, but this is the one I can't make an excuse for him on because it's like a quarter of what it could have been. And that's a real shame. Yeah. Can I say a couple of the actors he considered for this too? Bill Paxton, I think would have been good. That would have been a great reversal because of his, he plays the most sinister fucking vampire near dark. Exactly. So you flip it and you make him the Slayer. That would have appealed to the cult movie community for sure. And it would have appealed to to the Twister fan in me of him leading a ragtag crew. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I support it. He did have Eastwood and Kurt Russell. This one I'm a little sketchy on, Al Pacino. Ew. And then I think it would have been a very different film, but could have been, if you wanted to lean into the comedy, Joe Pesci <laughs> would have been. But you know what? That sounds crazy. And I don't think it would have worked because ultimately I think it's a script issue. But Joe Pesci, like Casino Joe Pesci? That's true. Casino Joe Pesci as a let's take the humor out of it and he's just a sick fuck. I I think 
I, Woods it, barely had the presence for this, or at least the the size and the 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 you know the body for it. And I feel like you would need. I'd want somebody who looks like he could handle himself, like you said, in a fight with a vampire. And I just don't. Unless Joe's walking around with a tire iron the entire movie, I don't. Is it true? Yeah. And then Arlie Ermy was another one, which Ar- Ermy's a little one note for me. So yeah. I don't, I don't know that. Uh, he couldn't have carried the movie as the lead, unfortunately. No. No. no uh, you know who I thought? Um, because I think this movie is ripe for. I think this movie should be remade. I'm just going to say. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Denzel should be Crow. Sure. Denzel he's is making in those equalizer mode where he's just in movies where he's fucking killing people. God, it's, I hate. Do you like? I cannot stand those films. I like I see, them for what they are because they are like canon films that Denzel Washington is starring in. <laughs> that's not. That's true. When I see Fuqua at this point, that's just like a big neon sign. Chris, you're not going to like this. Yeah, that, that's probably true. But like, rather than a Magnificent Seven remake, what we mm. needed was a Vampires remake. And like, I want like Book of Eli, Denzel Washington, working in secret. <laughs> As for the Catholic Church, and I would flip this thing around now that we have a resurgence and realize that most cowboys are actually black. I would do a whole black cowboy gang of vampire fucking slayers, and they're in a town. And then I'd make the third act a siege film, where Denzel is locked up, and they got to get to daylight and whatever, whatever. And I would make it to, hey, we're meeting this bishop in this town to do this thing, whatever, whatever. And it's classic, classic samurai movie, classic Western, because they're basically the same thing, uh, set up where the fucking church sold them out and gave their location in the town away. And the town, the entire town's already been turned to vampires. And nice. the whole movie's in fucking lockdown, where they're, they're just locked down, uh, having to survive wave after wave after wave of southwest vampires and i think it would fucking rule i think we need russell crowe as the pope's exorcist in some capacity in this well the bishop (laughs) in this movie is pope's exorcist russell crowe levels of performance yeah yeah and i like the pope's exorcist i want i want more hell make it a pope's exorcist movie fuck yeah put it (laughs) in the universe did you see it chris i have not it's in my okay i won't spoil it for you but there's a cinematic pope Pope's Exorcist universe is spawned out of that movie. Listen, as soon as I saw that meme online of of Crow on the Vespa, he's going always down on the, the Vespa street. in the movie. He's always I, on the Vespa. I need to watch it. Yeah, because here's the thing: Crow is actually legitimately good in it, and he 100 percent knows what movie he's in. And you're like, this movie is awful if it's not for him, but he's in it, and so this movie fucking rules. <laughs> This movie rules because this guy is just like, I know what this is. Nobody else might. This director might think this is a real movie, but I know it's not. And it it is. I could watch that character that because I, I, I tweeted about it. And the producer of the film responded to the tweet, which is never a good sign because it means the movie's flopping. The only time producers of movies ever tweet at me, because I didn't tweet at him. Yeah. <laughs> I just tweeted about the movie, is when the movie's flopping. It's happened more than once. Hmm. And... I was like, I want a bunch of these movies, and I just want this character put into different like horror cliches. Basically, he, the he's you know put him in a Conjuring sort of film, put him in a yeah. spooky clown film, put him in werewolf just movie, yeah. yeah. And he's like, that's actually the idea. We have like ten movies already like written out where you could put him in any category, and he would be like supernatural Columbo. <laughs> that's really what he is. Like he plays it like Columbo, but he's an exorcist. And he's got this bonkers Italian accent, <laughs> and he loves to drink and, and espresso. 
and he loves and you know crow would do it and i'm like holy shit so yeah let's make vampires and put russell crow as the catholic priest in it fucking go let's go (laughs) we've saved hollywood (laughs) who said there are no take that ai denzel and russell crow in the pope's vampire slayer let's fucking go (laughs) black cowboys russell crow vespas southwest desert burrowing vampires can't miss buy my tickets right now and maybe hey chris we could get john carpenter to come back he's saying he wants to direct again so i was gonna ask you guys about that afterwards because we talked i would still be up for like an escape from miami and I'm sure Russell could probably do it, or maybe one of his kids, or either way. And we talked. About I think it you just episode. do Russell, and like they, we've already got Old Man Snake in the Metal Gear Solid games, which is just <laughs> right. Kurt Russell. It's just literally Snake Plissken. <laughs> so I just you think you just do Old Man Snake? Like Arnold keeps talking about doing Old Man Conan. I'm like, fuck it, oh, do it. We do need it. a King Conan movie yeah, so badly. It. it would, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> Do it like be like King Lear or something. Do that adaptation, and it's it him. It's going in and perfect. Let me bring this back around to something that's relevant to this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a sweet spot when an actor, a male actor, is a certain age and they can play a certain type of character. And then there's this middle age that they're no longer believable in certain roles. Yeah, and then they get old, and it gets believable again, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. Everybody said Stallone was too long in the tooth for Rocky V, and he was, and Rocky V sucked. <laughs> but when he comes back as Rocky Balboa, and they give you some, well, it's an exhibition match because this guy's ego, and they, they, they plotted it out perfectly. Yep. All of a sudden, it's like, ooh, now I believe that because now he's kind of, we can tell a different story with him. Same thing with Eastwood. When he's doing High Plains Drifter, it works. When he does the first Dirty Harry, it works. By the time he's doing the Deadpool and some of these later Dirty Harry movies, and I would even say parts of In the Line of Fire, where I'm supposed to believe he's a love interest for Rene Russo and they're going to have a sex scene, (laughs) it doesn't work. But the moment he does like Unforgiven, where he's going back to something he hasn't done in 30 years, and he's Mm -hmm. playing that man-with-no-name type character again, it fucking is perfect. And Mm -hmm. I think in this movie... That's what I kind of meant earlier, where you either need Eastwood, uh, a type, or you needed somebody like Russell who was younger. And I know he wasn't young, young in the 90s, but he was definitely younger than James Woods at this point, or at least came <laughs> off as younger. Yeah. Yeah, he was, James Wood was 51. And, and it's not, I'm not trying to be ageist or whatever, but it's not believable. He either needs to be the old, like the reason why yeah. he's on the team is because he's the best at this and he's been doing it for 40 years, or he's in the prime of his life. Yeah. I th- you know, to, it's, to it's, tell the story about, yeah. oh, I became a vampire slayer when my parents got killed by vampires. I'm like, you're 50. I, your, your parents got killed by vampires and I'm supposed to care, like, still? Like... It's yeah. not, they're presenting it as if he's like a young character, but then he's 50. Yeah, they're presenting it as if he's like 25 or 30 or something. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, he's 50. But then again, if they are presented as he's like, I know it sounds bizarre, but he's like 65. Yeah. And he's that, fucking grizzled. That works. And you're like, that, that, he's the only one that can do it, right? Like he's mm-hmm. the most successful vampire slayer at all times. And that becomes part of the story is like, he's, is he losing a step? Yeah. You know, yep. does Cheryl Lee end up getting turned if she's a, a slayer or a prostitute because he's losing his step? 
You know, he has to go up against the biggest challenge of his vampire slaying career when he doesn't have, like Carpenter, his fastball. And that's the other thing. What a great metaphor this could have been for Carpenter himself. Hey, everybody thinks I've lost my fucking touch. Mm-hmm. This movie's going to be the big fuck you. I'm still the man. And I'm going to work those themes into the movie where Jack Crow, he used to be the fucking man. Everybody's like, ah, he's slipping. He's slipping. We get, we, the Catholic Church wants a new generation. They right. want new. Like, what, mm-hmm. not to go twister on you, Juan, but what if there was a rival <laughs> Vampire Slayer team and they had all the new hotness and he was old and busted, <laughs> right? Like, you have the Carrie Elwes team yeah. and you got the Ragtag team. Yeah. And, you got the and one with the corporate sponsorship. Bingo. And yeah. Woods is like, we've been doing it the same way for 50 years. I've been yeah. killing vampires. I've killed more masters than anybody. And the Catholic Church mm-hmm. is like, yeah, but we need a new generation. Your ways are too brutal. They're too barbaric. Blah, 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 blah. And it could, have, it could have been this interesting commentary of what does John Carpenter do, to your point, Chris, the, whose most perfect movie was made at the height of the practical era, now in the throes of the first height of the first wave of the digital era of filmmaking. Mm. There's so much subtext that could have been put in this movie. And vampires are perfect. I mean, they're, they're the perfect avatar for any metaphor that you want. Yep. And it could have been about, yeah, corporate. Like you, that's how you get the corporate aspect, Juan, like you're saying, from the novel. And like, there's like this, somebody give us this fucking screenplay. I will buy the rights to it because there's a movie here. There's a real movie here. There's no yeah. movie in Memoirs of the Invisible Man. I don't give a fuck about that guy. I don't want him to have an invisible baby with a supermodel. Fuck him. There's no movie there. <laughs> There's no movie in the Village of the Damned. There's an interesting idea, but it's not a movie. Yeah. This is a goddamn movie. This is it. This is this. There's a there's a all time great movie here that he could have used to say so much, and he just doesn't. And that's what like we're willing to forgive so much of the shoddiness of They Live, especially forty years later. Because he's mm-hmm. got something to say. Yeah. yeah, he's got a point. Yeah. There's yeah. no, there's, he's not saying anything with this movie. Nope. Escape from New York, there's something to say. Even Escape from LA, there's, he's saying something about the new religious right. The thing, he's saying something. There's nothing here, there's nothing at its core. So there's, it's too shiny. The lead sucks. The story falls apart. There's nothing to say. And he, montages and cross dissolves over the blood that gets in the action now i hate john carpenter chris i'm with you (laughs) no he has nothing to say with this my feeling about vampire movies is if you don't have sex if it's not about sex it ain't a vampire movie that is all he is trying to say with this movie but there's not really a lot of sex in this movie no no like the movie is the like james wood like chris you the clips you played. I cannot believe yeah, this. Yeah. What? It's the antithesis of this. Oh, vampires aren't no foo foo euro erotica. Blah 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 blah. But then John Carpenter's like, well, vampires are all about sex. Then why did you make a sexless vampire movie? <laughs> He's quoted elsewhere as saying, I didn't want to make no uh, romantic vampires because that had been done. I wanted to make. I wanted these vampires to be like animals, like monsters, predators, like monsters. And- yeah, that rip you apart. Yeah. Then he says that he didn't know what he was doing. What the fuck? <laughs> he so in the commentary, he's focusing too on, like you said, this is him. This is his peck and paw. This is his, 
his uh, John Ford. This is his yeah. his most I think straightforward western. Yeah. I think that he's made, and he says one of the big focuses that he wanted for the film was also the the love men have amongst each other, like working on the farm, working on the ranch. That's what he's trying to portray between him and Daniel Baldwin, James Woods and Baldwin, that kind of camaraderie, I love you, man. You know, there's that one scene when he says, well, I'm going to go back to the hotel and clean up the mess. And, uh, well, you can't do it. It's, you can't do it by yourself. Rule number 36 yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. the hell it is, right? Yeah. And he says, well, what do you got anything to say? And I said, just come back alive, partner. You know, that's kind of that's his big focus. I get that he thinks there. that's in here. That's not in the movie. No, it's yeah. not there. Maybe it was on set. Nope. Maybe it was like a lovely bonding experience between a bunch of men really caring about each other. But it wasn't on the movie. It wasn't on but the here, screen. Here's the thing. I love those movies. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite movies is Cool Hand Luke. Sure. Cool Hand Luke rules. Cool Hand Luke is about that, where they end up building camaraderie, mm-hmm. and it ends up costing Luke his life. He like a movie like The Great Escape, I like Men on a Mission movies. Fuck, they live as more of a two guys who learn to love each other. Like I get that that's a trope of West Magnificent Seven. Uh, that's a great, great example, right? Yep. Even Seven Samurai. That was say, yep, yep. That's not in this movie. No. I can't believe that, Chris. I cannot believe that. That's, oh yeah. He said, "Oh, I wanted to focus on that." Did you write it? They kill it, off most of the team at the very that, beginning. They're down to two. That goes to my point. If we yeah. had had that scene yeah. where we see them as ass kickers in, in a family. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see them eat steak and eggs. Yeah. Yeah. These <laughs> guys rule. I like their job is scary, but they're rough around the edges, but they're saving the world mm-hmm. and they're funny and they're charming. And I'd kind of like to party with these guys. And then they're massacred. You're like, oh my God, these cool yeah. characters are all died. And this family has been torn apart. And, and that, that, oh my God, that, that, oh, Chris, <laughs> that's a level, that's a Vin Diesel level of delusion. <laughs> You're telling me that vampires. The, with the what what he says, all oh, the real subtext here is about the camaraderie that men have with each other. James Woods and Daniel Baldwin aren't in more than fifteen minutes of the movie together. They're separated for most of the movie. It's him and the mm-hmm. priest, and him and the priest don't the young priest. They don't build any rapport unless it's about his erection until the last <laughs> ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he he does knock him on his ass every five minutes or so too. Yeah. So I did see enjoy seeing him take a spell other. all the time, but yeah. I can't believe he thinks that. That then, oh, that's I'm serious. Like that is you're dumbfounded right now. I'm dumbfounded, Chris. I am dumbfounded. Like, okay, take it all of my rant for this episode. <laughs> I just boil it down to like, what's wrong with this movie is the man who wrote it and made it. He had something in his head that he did not get on the page, and he most certainly did not get on the screen. And that's why when yeah. we look at it, because I think we're all three in agreement, more or less. I was hoping, you never know with Lady Wan, she would be like, Alien versus I'm Predator and Vampires. <laughs> two of the best movies of the 90s. <laughs> or, t- or late late 90s or 2000s. Um, 2000. This is, no, you didn't make that mm. movie. No. Yeah. Could have. He didn't write it. I don't know if that gives you any solace. No, he did. He combined two scripts and the book, and he, he wrote the final screenplay for this. Oh, did he? Because it's not listed that way. He may not get screenplay credit, but he wrote the final treatment for it. Because he combined existing. There were two previous scripts, and they couldn't get it together. Those writers were fired. Both sets of writers were fired off the movie, but they retained the rights to the script. Carpenter read the script and and then went back and read the original book. 
and said, oh, if I take some of this stuff from the book and then make it a Western and combine it with some of these ideas of the existing script, then I got my movie. So I think what ended up happening is other people were credited for it because it was the majority of their work. Mm -hmm. But he's the one that actually combined it in the end. So, but that's fucked up. So what it, what it really sounds like is he probably didn't significantly rewrite it, rewrite it enough to make it a coherent original vision. And so he had this idea of a movie he wanted to make, but he couldn't be bothered or wasn't paid or wasn't allowed to, I don't know, to actually do a significant enough rewrite. Mm. And then he filmed the movie of the scripts that he cobbled together, which was not the script that was in his head. Yeah. And he should know that. What is wrong with him? <laughs> that's like that's like Vin Diesel is like, this is the greatest saga of our generation. This is our modern Star Wars. And you're like... Does he really believe that? And then, like, he does. He does. Nobody else does, but he does. He does not know that the whole world is laughing at him. He thinks we're all being deeply moved by all of this. <laughs> by near-death experiences that have flashbacks with flashbacks within flashbacks. During <laughs> dreams. He's like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. That's how life is. I think we can all relate to that. And there's John Carpenter. I can't believe that. Because... Chris, if I would say anything about Carpenter, I would say he's a fucking realist. Yeah. But no, he's just another deluded old bag of bones, piece of shit. Jeez, all right. I mean, he's self-deluded. That is a self-deluded thought. You know you know what vampires is really about? What's it about, John? Sex and the camaraderie of men. There's no sex in it. And there, there's no eroticism. The fact that the movie makes fun of sexy vampires. Yeah. And, and the male characters aren't on screen together. And when they are, they don't like each other. What are you talking about? If you said this movie is about misogyny and assholes, I would believe you. It's all there. They have that touching moment at the end where he's, you know, But, it just, but Juan, partner. is that moment believable? What of their relationship have we seen that Woods would even give a shit? N- not enough. He Not says the words. <laughs> but but Woods at one point is like, is there something you need to tell me? And by the way, <laughs> if you're in a world where zombies or vampires exist and you, you come back to the hotel and everything's torn asunder and a guy has a fucking giant bandage on his arm, <laughs> just shoot him in the head right then. Come on. It's like, you have something to tell me. You already me. know. Yeah, you yeah. already know the guy's fucking bit. They're always bit. Yeah. So he's like, oh, nothing you'd want to hear about, which does not that's lend not to a me. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Lie. But that I doesn't lend to me that these guys have a relationship where they, they have camaraderie. He's like, hey, is everything okay? Not that you'd give a shit. I'm telling you nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chris, that threw me. <laughs> I ruined your night. Oh, Man, God. when I started on this, well, it was one of the first episodes, like two or three in. You were so full of life, yes. And vigor. We were joking. We were laughing. You were cutting up, and you're barely awake in that chair. <laughs> I, it's this is heartbreaking you know, for me because you started off with like I love Carpenter. I love I him so much, and then here we are, and you're just like I. I don't want to watch another one of his movies. I'll tell you that the other day I was talking to um, Matt, my co-host on the other show, and I was like. It's almost over. I'm so happy it's almost over. Because I thought, because I haven't seen memoirs, and I 
had fond memories of In the Mouth of Madness and Escape from L.A. I was thought, eh, all right, maybe I just misunderstood it when I first saw it as a kid. Wow. Whatever. But it is, it's been a slog for a while now. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just going to pretend, basically, that his oeuvre stops after 1988, I think is what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's what I do. I don't I don't watch anything past 88. Yeah. I think you are experiencing like that kid who complained that they wanted dessert and then only was allowed to eat ice cream. Like, <laughs> that's what's happened to you. You're in diabetic carpenter shock. Like you're like, I love it. I love it. I love it. And then that's the only thing you've been like just consuming. And you're like, no, this is not good for me. Because <laughs> I was pushing this. Since it's carpenter. It's like Lady Wan found you in the closet smoking her cigarettes. <laughs> and she was like, oh, you want to smoke, smoke Paul? You want to smoke Phil's Paul Malls, huh? Here's a whole goddamn carton. Yeah. And you're like, you're, you're three packs deep and you're about to puke. That's what it, yeah. that is what, that's the look on your face. It's that's like, exactly If what you happened. threw up right now on the screen, I would like, you look sick from this <laughs> podcast. I was, I, it's my own fault because I remember when we were just, after aliens were like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, I, I pushed this. And she was kind of like, oh, well, that's not a bad idea. And I just kept <laughs> pushing it because I also had part of the reason was I had all these Blu-rays with these commentaries I'd never listened to. And I'm like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to dive into all this. And then now we're here. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the inverse of season one when one was like, I love Mola Rats. And then you got to like Clerks too. And she's like, I can't fucking stand this guy and his <laughs> stupid fucking movies. Fuck these movies. Fuck Kevin Smith. And now we know what was really going on. God bless the man. But um, it's like the total inverse, except for that rather than fly off the handle like Lady Wan does <laughs> and like I do. You just get quieter and deader and deader. Yeah, I, I incorporate. I eat my feelings. I uh, yeah, everything is. Uh, yeah, it's not good. We should literally just take a piece of wood and nail it to your body and put "Do not open dead inside." <laughs> <laughs> I will say it's made me think. If we, you know, if if I'm able to move on to a fourth season <laughs> after this, that it's limited. Like we don't go more than ten. Yeah, I think we I found don't... that we have a limit to our. Season attention span. <laughs> and we try something different than some, yeah. Cause... So George Romero next? Because <laughs> I've also done that one. And no. nobody, what a ride that is. No, we're not yeah, doing yeah. that. Absolutely not. We're not doing that. No. No, I haven't watched my Martin 4K yet. I got that a couple weeks ago. So, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. I've, I've enjoyed listening to Chris um, disassociate. Progressively on each episode. listening to a little piece of my soul die every week, every just another little piece. Okay, back to uh, the outline. What's left? Returning players. There's nobody, right? Am I missing somebody? No, I mean, unless you count Jeff Amada, who is like one of the set yeah. coordinators, who's been on screen before, but he's not on screen in this. We got nobody on screen. Returning. Do you know who's in this? Did I realize? Go ahead. Frank Darabont. He's in this? Yeah, he's in it. Who is Uh, he? What's he And driving up now in his beautiful old 70s Cadillac is Frank Darabont. Frank is a director and writer. Oh, that's wow, that's what he looked like at the time. Close friend of mine. Begged me for a part in the movie. (laughs) He can't act worth shit, but I gave him the part anyway. (laughs) 
What a cunt. After this scene was over, he he said, did I just ruin your entire film? And naturally, I told him he did. <laughs> so, yeah, the, it's, he's driving the station wagon that Daniel Baldwin holds up and says, you know, takes his car. I That's know what Frank Darabont looks like. I never would have guessed that was him. Yeah, yeah. I found that amusing. So wow. Darabont makes an appearance. Did you okay. notice there's there's another person in here who plays Vampire Master Number Four? I think. No, who's that? Did I miss him? Chad Stahelski. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> we were back in his stunt days. He's uh, that's Holy one God. of the co-creators and co-directors of the first John Wick, and he's there directed he is, I think yeah. two through four himself, or maybe three and four himself. But yeah, son of a gun. I, I was like, wow. That was my big takeaway from this movie. <laughs> I did not realize that. Look at that. No Peter Jason. No. No Buck Flower being drunk in the desert. I think Buck Flower, was he dead at this point? Didn't Ooh, he die? Been... Oh, I don't know. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go, Juan. He was, he, I think he died like around 2000, but maybe that's in my No, head. 2004. Okay. But he could have been elderly and yeah. drunk in the desert. Elderly in drunk this vampire. Movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not even. He could have just been on a bench. At the gas station when Daniel Baldwin carjacks Frank. <laughs> Crazy Tarabon. drunk vampire slayers. Yeah. yeah. But no. He had he, cancer. They're not make you feel good. But um you besmirched the name of Peter Jason, Chris, in one of these episodes. You're like, Wow, Peter Jason. Well, Peter Jason's one of my favorite character actors. I love his voice. I love I just love the way he talks. Yeah, yeah. That's that's fair. He's from a class Could've... of actor that just does not fucking exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And they were, you would just put them in movies. They're character actors. You could give them one line or ten lines or a whole scene. And those are the people who used to say the ex- exposition in films. And they Ugh. would sell it. And that was their job. We're going to give you all of the yeah. exposition to sell. And then the characters are going to do the character work. And it was yeah. so great. And then we just said, we don't need that. We don't need those people anymore. We do so bad. Because father exposition in this movie is... Horrible. So bad. I know all about you, Jack. I know that your parents were killed by vampires, and I'm like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Like, horrible. It's so terrible. It's so bad. And he does it again later. Like, while well, they're looking for this cross, and it does this, and it's I'm like, well, I, well, after repeatedly pretending he didn't know anything. Yeah. But like, nobody believed you. Come on. You know, I like that actor, Tim Guinea. There's, but it's going to sound weird, but he was in a few episodes of Law and Order, and he was in one. Where he played this really creepy kind of like uh, serial killer, mm. where he'd meet young women and he'd get to know them and their kids and whatever. And there's, it's he, he like massacres a whole family. Oh, but he's so the he's plot of very, the stepfather. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but he's very kind of very unassuming and very quiet. And it's one of my favorite episodes of Law and Order. Whenever I see him, I instantly think of that episode. But yeah. I'm about to maybe trigger an issue here, and I don't mean to, Lady Wong, because you've talked about this on binge movies. Mm-mm. At the very end, when he no longer has his glasses, mm-hmm. <laughs> when he their version of him being butched up is that he takes the glasses off and he no longer needs his glasses. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that, and did it bother you? <sighs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it really, really upsets me <laughs> when people lose their glasses and are improved. Um, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I Works for it. me. Watch. See, look. Ooh. It just makes me so angry. No. Makes well, me so I was going to say something. Because not everybody looks better without glasses, and most people can't see without them. So, But he actually, of any movie I've ever seen, he looked a hell of a lot better without those glasses. All of a sudden, I was like, that. he was like handsome with the 90s hair. And yeah. yeah. I saw it. I saw it at the end. Ugh. 
All that means is he probably just need a, a pair of frames that suited him better. Yeah. Oh, I hate, That's true. I hate that trope. I hate that trope so much. I immediately dock any movie that does it a whole point. What do you dock vampires? <laughs> well, that is If you dock vampires a whole point, are there points left? Wow. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. I know we touched on it before a little bit, but do, do we want to pro- have a proper score corner? I don't know if I have really anything else to add than what I said. So you got no juice. Yeah. Okay, it was good. You liked it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I like the score. I actually really yeah. like the score of this movie. Mm-hmm. Again, when it the had movie a personality. Op- yeah, sure. when the movie opens and it looks good, and the first action sequence is cool, and the vampires exploding, and you got that sort of um, uh, what's the right word for it? It's like Roadhouse Rock kind of. Chris? That's what he refers to it in the commentary. Oh. Is Roadhouse. Right? Yeah. That's what he calls huh. it. Roadhouse blues or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it feels like to me. It's that Roadhouse country blues style. So I'm glad he said that because that's what I felt it was. Yeah, it's it, it, there's variations to the They Live score in there too. A little bit. It's a little yes, more Roadhouse okay. that's and that's country western yeah. yeah. I love you, Scalza. Yeah. That was that because that, it's that. Dun, dun. It's yeah. like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, he's used that motif before. Yeah. But not only that, that motif is also used, I think, from Dust Till Dawn when it's like, long night. Because it's like a blues. That's right. Yeah. It's like yeah. a blues um, deal. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's like a, that deep south kind of blues. And I just, I was like, I like, man, okay. Because his, I agree with you guys, his scores, the guy a little, can you remember anything from Village of the Damned? Did he do that? Or is that, he farmed that out. I don't think he did. It's one of those, again, where here's a couple notes to run with, and then that's <laughs> yeah. it. He's like, yeah, 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 you get it. You got it. Finish it. This is the first one when he's back and in, yes. in the control. And he's he talks about it, too, because he had five weeks to do the score here. So I think that may be why he was able to dedicate some time to Good it, point. and it's more fully developed. But he also drops, and I didn't know this or I forgot, he only had three days to do the score for Halloween, which just blows my mind that he put that whole thing together in the three original days. or the 2018 the uh, the original because mm. this is a commentary before 2018 came out so oh great okay. so here's the thing is that he kind of disappears and i don't know if he just goes with bars you guys will cover that in your next episode yeah. and then he comes back with 2018 halloween and you're like oh shit he's the man again which was yeah. you know what's so odd is i think that moment chris that you're talking about when this could have been the movie where it's like fuck you assholes i'm the man yeah, he never did that, in my opinion, uh, in cinema. But he certainly did that with his music. Yeah, where he's like, not only did I invent this fucking genre, all you kids keep mimicking and calling synthwave. I'm going to reinvent it. Every 20 year old is going to mimic me again when I'm in my fucking 80s. I'm going to play. Right. I'm going to play Fallout. <laughs> I'm going to smoke cigarettes. I'm going to talk shit about women on commentary tracks, and I'm going to produce fucking killer music yep and i'm gonna tour it and you're gonna pay me whatever the fuck to watch me and my son dance on casios because that's what <laughs> i got going and i have not done that yet you haven't seen why touring again anytime soon but i haven't either and I, w- I would want to i really do yeah okay favorite performance in this film <laughs> jason would you like to go first as you shake your head <laughs> not available you have to pick somebody (laughs) na my favorite performance is between when daniel baldwin was being a nice guy 
And not like nice guy in like a internet, but he was actually being a decent human being. I thought, oh, well, that's what the character should have been. And I think he could have done it. Um, or uh, the bishop. Okay. Because that guy is so over the top. When he, he, it's like a cartoon, Lady Wong, like- Chris. <laughs> when at the end, when he peeks around the corner. <laughs> It was an evil Cheshire cat. Granny's like, it's something. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a Vince McMahon moment from the Attitude Era. It was like, it's me, Austin. It was me. All along, Austin. You all bought it. Each and every one of you have been made fools of. <laughs> That's exact. And also, again, I would say this in the plus column for this movie, his reasoning is one of the best villain reasonings I've ever heard for a religious villain in yeah. any movie. Yeah. Hollywood fucks up religious people like nobody's business. Yeah. They write them so poorly, and they are all they all just end up being like Bible-thumping maniacs and cannibals and whatever. <clears throat> There's no, they can't write somebody of any kind of faith in any degree of sophistication, be they villain or hero. They don't write any religious heroes. But his reasoning is... I have served the church and I'm getting, I'm old and I'm going mm-hmm. to die and I've seen no miracles and I've had no visions. God has never spoken to me. Mm-hmm. I've never had a divine encounter. And now I'm afraid that I'm going to die and I'm afraid there's going to be nothing or worse for me. And so I just don't want to die. And the idea of somebody who's attracted to the church because not for the good reasons, but because it offers them eternal life. If you think the claims of the church might be spurious and you still want eternal life, who yeah. are you going to turn to but a vampire? Yeah. And I thought, that, okay, Makes that sense. is incredible villain logic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I really enjoyed when they just a giant squib, which is just a shotgun, when the priest <laughs> is like, bam, and just shoots the bishop. <laughs> and he just goes flying back in full vestments with his guts hanging out. That was great. Yeah. If you consider that a performance, yes, I absolutely. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the bishop, whatever his name is. I'll put it in the yeah. poll. Bishop um, evil uh, vampire cuck. <laughs> First off, he's a cardinal. Oh, oh I'm cardinal sorry. Cardinal Alva. Hold on, hold on. Let me fix it for the poll. Now, Chris, can I, can I just deviate one more time and ask you a question? All right, but this is the last one. Okay. <laughs> the part of it is, doesn't make sense. This is also, I think, where movies get religion wrong. But we have to complete this <laughs> Catholic exorcism. Of course, yeah. To make sure that this evil can walk the earth during the day. The part of that that doesn't make any sense is ostensibly who, who the force behind those rituals would be God. So when he's going through all the rigmarole in full vestments and he's got the thing in the cross and he's doing this, and he's doing this sort of bastardized Eucharistic service. Why in the world would God be like, you know what? I'm going to put my money on that guy. I'm going to back that up with my power. doesn't make any sense. Now, I could see fucking up and or a corrupt priest tapping into demonic power, and then, like, that's why the whole thing goes haywire. But just being like, well, we never finished this this uh, this this sacrament, and so now we're going to, and then the vampire's going to have, be all-powerful. I just I feel like God would sit that one out. Well, I think as Al once told us, God is an absentee landlord. Alf? You said Alf said that? Al. Al Pacino. Devil's Advocate. He's an Oh, I, th- I thought you said Alf. And I, said, that's, that's <laughs> I could have. It's pretty dark for Alf. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> Willie! Okay. What? <laughs> you know, my father went to uh, college with that guy who created uh, Alf. Paul Fusco? Yeah. 
You went to, he told me that once. And I don't know why. That doesn't seem like something you'd make up. No. That's your dad said this or your, who said this? Yeah, my father. Yeah, my dad. Mm. What was your dad's name? My dad, Vin. Vin! Ho ho, Vin! <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen vampires, Vin? Ho ho! <laughs> I want to remake vampires, but I want it to be about eating carrots. Ha! <laughs> so. I don't know how to yeah, get that. Dig pussy, Vin! Ho! <laughs> I like the idea that, what, so the, the, the ritual is going to, what, finish him, him and then that way the evil will be extinguished? No, but you, he'll still be evil, but he'll yeah. be able to be out in the sunlight like Blade. Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. That's my point. That's Why whole... would God be like, well, now that you finish that Christian sacrament, I'll make I'll make sure this evil can walk in the daytime. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't make, make sense. It doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. Chris, who gives your favorite performance in this movie? <laughs> There's when you have line deliveries like this. You are truly a pile of dog shit, Cardinal. <laughs> you mean you're inclined to go with James Woods, but I'm actually from the beginning yeah. my vote was Maximilian Shell as Cardinal Alba. Whoa! Because he is so ridiculous and over the top when he agrees with crow in that scene he's yes i am jack and he's just <laughs> nuts it, i don't know but yeah shell is great in this so he's like the because he is so over the top like you said with uh crow i'm assuming a pope's exorcist i think shell knows exactly what movie he's in and he runs with it so yeah i think he's gonna win the poll because my choice is just valak because everybody else made me mad on principle so I'm going with uh, Tommy Wiseau in this one. Just an all-American boy from New Orleans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going with that OG vampire. Let's let's knock this out and give this movie our synth score. One to five. Half synths are allowed. Chris, you want to start us off? I'll go two. I think I'm being generous. How does that track? Hold on. In your, What are you giving it the same score as it's going to upset me? Village of the Damned. Oh, I'm not bothered. And Dark Star. Ooh, okay, that makes me mad. Dark Star is yeah. way better than this. I think you're probably right about that. Yes. All right, I'll take. I'd probably one. give That's Dark it. Star two and a half at this point, maybe a three. Whoa. Upon reflection, Whoa. but I don't know. Jason, what do you got? I think it's either Darcy or Stacy who's married to a Valak, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I don't know which one. The uh, reference is above my. Or head. both of them. They're both Valaks. <laughs> Yeah, um, this is a this is a two synther. I'm right there with with Chris. This is a twoer, twofer. Okay, yeah, I had a two down as well, and I do feel like it's being generous to give it a two. But what is it that I gave a one and a half? Was that Memoirs of an Invisible Man? I gave a one and yep. a half. This is better than Memoirs. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what's putting me at a solid two. It's it's a one point seven five if I'm being realistic, but I'll give it a two. We'll we'll round it up. So we got we got twos across the board. Well, that creates a problem for me because I think you might be right, and I give memoirs a two and a half. We, hmm. We're going to have to revisit all of our scores. I'm looking in forward our to that final episode where we <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we really re- review what we reviewed. I can't wait for correct. whatever graph you come up with later oh, on to so show to the progression, stuff. which is going to be a total nosedive. It's going to be, it's going to be worse than Wall Street during the Great 
the, the <laughs> when guys were jumping off of roofs. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. We need our, our final data point for this mm-hmm. film. We need, on a scale of 0 to 10, how many fucks did John Carpenter give when he was making John Carpenter's vampires? <laughs> Chris? <laughs> I don't know. Because there's the movie he thinks he made. Oh, yeah. There's exactly. the movie wow. he made. So I feel like in his mind, this is like an eight. But the finished product like is, is you know, you, you would almost think like he's just, you know, cashing a check. But I feel like he's all in. I think he's an eight on this for himself, but he's delusional about it. I, I think... This is the exact crossover in data points that I wanted, right, though, is him giving eight out of ten fucks and getting a two. Like, that's where we were going all this time. Yeah, the tell for me is the score. Yeah. Or I feel like he, you know, he he is really thinks he's on to something here. I don't have the Blu-ray, so I don't have all the commentary and everything, but watching a couple of those behind-the-scenes packages of him, like, he's like, yeah, like, this is... This is good. Like he's he's feeling it. He thinks he's doing something really cool, and boy does it suck. So. Oh yeah, mama. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I gotta agree with you, Chris. I think I think I'm gonna give it an eight as well because I think he thinks he's really onto something. Jason, what do you think? I don't know any cardinals, but I do know at least one bishop. And that bishop told me a story about when he was a kid, his favorite ball player was Willie Mays. And one of his favorite things he loved to see Willie Mays do was the trick play where he'd catch the ball with his ball cap. And finally, Willie came to town. He was old enough to go see him. Willie! And and he went to see him, and he went to do it, and he couldn't do it. And he fumbled around and finally got the ball, and he struggled to get the ball to second base because he was seeing him at the end of his career. And he said, I wish I'd never seen him live. Mm. Because when I think about my favorite ball player, the only thing I remember about him is seeing him on the field past his prime. Mm. And I'm not trying to be funny, but I do feel, Chris, that that is what you're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. That this is your favorite director, or one of your favorite directors. One of, yeah. And he's got three, four, five movies that you're like, these are my all-time favorite movies. And you're aware of, and you saw, but you saw them spaced out, and there are other things going on in your life. You never really just like focused in. And yeah, you knew by reputation. But it's like you show up to the ballpark, and this guy can't, he can't do it anymore. And that's your point, Juan, of like, he's saying it's an eight, but you're getting a two. Mm-hmm. Because he's got all these excuses. For for all for all this other stuff that didn't work right, and maybe they're not excuses. Maybe they're facts. There's mm-hmm. no excuse here, and I have it written down. I'm right there with you. I I have it as an eight. I feel him trying here, yeah. and it just doesn't come together. When as I've yelled and screamed, <laughs> it should have. This is the this is one of the ones in this decade that was perfect for him, and mm-hmm. and. And so I think him choosing it, like previously he chose projects, probably weren't good projects, weren't good for him. He right. wasn't a good fit. Not the case. Budget didn't seem to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Casting didn't seem to be an issue. Time didn't seem to be an issue. He has all the tools and he can't do it. And yeah. it's, it's really, uh, as frustrated as I am, I'm more sad than anything. It's just fucking sad. Mm-hmm. 
Well, yeah. thanks for having me on. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't mean to be a bummer on your guys' show, but it, it, at a certain, no, it's at this point it feels like it's this is an intervention for Chris. <laughs> I know it's like, come on, buddy, it's gonna be all right. <laughs> for a split second, when I turned off my player, I'm like, did he just get lucky a few times? Oh, you know. And then I'm, but I, and I go through, and I'm like, no, no, he didn't. The man is a talent. He, you know, but it's just like you said, Jason. He's just kind of lost it a bit He's near the end there that's all yeah well was it one of his ex-wives you know was deborah hill part of the secret sauce was it you know was it dean cundy was it was it not was it not just one individual but a team of people who did mm-hmm. a handful of things you got the right editor and the right studio giving just the right amount of money and just enough mm-hmm. time and like or yeah. in some of these other instances, does he not have enough time? Does he have too much time? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like the Lucas effect. It's like, how did this guy do it? It's like, oh, well, he didn't direct two of them. He didn't write two of them. He didn't edit any of them, you know. And then you give him carte blanche and he can't, he there's like, George Lucas isn't a genius. He, it seems like he got lucky. It's like, well, no, he, he didn't get lucky. He had some really good ideas, but he had a team around him that got it across the finish line, including an ex-wife. And I think maybe yeah. it's the same thing here with Carpenter. You know, um, I would have said it's the same thing for Cameron, but that son of a bitch defies all odds. And it's just like, (laughs) no, I'm a monster and I'm great. And you're like, fuck, you are. You are great. (laughs) (laughs) You take everything away from him and give him 10 years and like, oh, he'll never do it. And it's just like, yeah, no, you you didn't like Avatar. Well, I'm going to make an Avatar you do like, motherfucker. (laughs) And you're going to like the goddamn CGI whale. And you're like, I love that whale. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm all in on that fucking whale. That's one of the best characters in the last 10 years is a fucking cartoon whale. <laughs> and the thing is, Carpenter isn't James Cameron. He had that window. He was great yeah. for that window. And that window ended in 1988. And mm. that sucks because you're doing a podcast about 20 of his films he made after 1988. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, oh, guys. Boy. I know. I've done it. I was a fool too. Because <laughs> I think I want to say something on, to your audience, the lovely audience of Screen Rent. It's an honor and privilege to come back here. I've taken you way over time. You're going to have to edit this like crazy. But the task of doing what the host of this show, what they're attempting to do, is very, very difficult. And part of the reason why it's difficult is because when you focus in on a singular writer, director, or, or, or even franchise, it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard, but you, you begin to realize that like, oh, there's one or two good ideas and everything else is an iteration on those one or two really strong ideas mm-hmm. to greater or lesser effect. And Carpenter, unfortunately, has a large enough filmography, which sounds awful, but it's true, <laughs> that at a certain point, what can you say that you haven't already said? Yeah. How many times can you say, well, he just did it for a paycheck? How many times can you say he stopped being good? You know, you got to get somebody like Joe, who's insane and has terrible taste in movies, to come on and be like, no, it's a great film. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Joe. I'm insane, but I don't think this is a great film uh, because I think I have okay uh, taste in films. And Mm -hmm. um, I I wish for this – the sake of your audience that I could be the outlier here, but I think you guys are right on the money. Chris, mm-hmm. I think what you're feeling is sadness. And I think it's right on the money. 
And yeah. Juan, I think you're you're experiencing these movies for the first time, and uh-huh. it's it's you're it's you're experiencing it all at the same time. <laughs> so there, there's no separation. You don't have that hope that Chris and I did that. Oh well. Carpenter's finally going to make another movie after seven years. And is it going to be a good one? And then you watch it and you're like, nope. It's ki- <laughs> it's kind of okay. At, but it's like, it should have been good. And that's where it gets. It's like, it's either awful or it's like, well, that's, that one should have been good. And that's horrible to say. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. But and those are almost more frustrating. Way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I'm just saying, tip your, tip your local <laughs> podcast host, the lady one and Chris Scalzo. <laughs> <sighs> Thanks. <laughs> Leave him a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Please. These fuckers have earned it. We'll take it. Yeah, please. Uh, I think that's everything. I think we did it all. I think. <laughs> Is there anything left to say about this movie? No. <laughs> Chris, you got anything else? I'm gonna need about thirty eight more minutes. I got a couple things I want. No, no. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. We've- All right, Scalzo, you want to go extra innings? I got it in me. Let's well, go. I don't. I don't. I'm tired. <laughs> Let's I'm talk tired. laser disc. Let's talk the Japanese laser disc release of vampires. Scalzo, <laughs> go. We have two straight to video sequels, too. So, yeah. Oh, no. One with John Bon Jovi in it. <laughs> Do, you know, I, I want to see it, one of them because Tommy Lee Edwards directed the first sequel. I don't know who Tommy Lee Edwards is. He directed Halloween 3, and he was um, like a, a Carpenter right-hand man oh. for a, a bulk of his films. I do like Halloween 3. I'm in that same corner with you, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. So I got Tommy Lee Edwards, and I have Bon Jovi. I think that's something I may have to check out. I don't know. I mean... Maybe for next season, what you could do is direct-to-video sequels. You could cover all of the Tremor sequels with the dude oh, from Family Ties. Michael Gross. You could do yeah, all yeah. of the From Dust Till Dawn uh, no. video sequels. You could do all of the vampire video sequels. But the, but the, like, the Sniper film series? There's like 10 of those? Yeah, you could do those. Oh, no. There's, how many escape plans, though? There's like five escape plans. Only one was in theaters. Oh, no. I don't, okay, you have to stop sharing ideas, please. <laughs> <laughs> you have to stop. Children of the Corn. There's a couple oh, dozen the of Children those. of the Corn ones. Holy shit! Urban Sacrifice or whatever. There is a. Oh. They've made so many Children of the Corn movies. There's one this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or, or Amityville. Oh, Amityville. Those oh, are there like a no. dozen of those. Because the the term Amityville can't be copyrighted because it's a place. Right. So exactly. anybody can make a movie called Amityville that doesn't have have anything to do with the original film or murders. That you know what we should do? Oh no! New, fresh into public domain. So we got to do like the Winnie the Pooh horror film. Oh, no. We got to do the Mickey Mouse porno that's going to be coming out soon. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I don't want to do any of these things. <laughs> porn parodies. Screen run season three. Porn parodies. Super Horneo Brothers. I mean, yeah, not screen run. It'll be the title, the subtitle. Shaving Privates Ryan's Privates. Yeah. Please no. Edward Penis Hands. Folks at home, these are all real titles, by the way. <laughs> See, this is why your algorithm is off <laughs> on your search. You can find them at Binge Movies Home Video in sunny tropical Akron, Ohio. I'm Jason from Binge Movies. Until next time, <laughs> binge on. <laughs>
Quit signing off this show that I don't oh, know how I'm to sorry. sign off. Well, you don't. You always say you don't know I how. I know, so, but I right? didn't ask you to do it. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Jason from Binge Movies. I thank you guys for having me on. That's the lady <laughs> one. She's the main host of the show. And there's Chris Galzo. He's barely alive inside. This is Screen Run. Leave us a five-star review. We love you. Signing off. Until next time. God bless. Say a prayer for our troops and firefighters. Back the blue. I've lost control completely. Wow. Follow James Woods on Twitter at James Woods. <laughs> no. He's still got a blue check mark. That's how you know it's still James Woods. Oh, no. And soon we'll be live on Rumble. Oh, <laughs> He's going to be, make sure you follow James Woods on True Social so you can see all of his truths. <laughs> oh. Okay. I didn't, I forgot to say this earlier when we were talking shit about James Woods. That he tweeted complaining about the age gap in Call Me By Your Name. And Army Hammer tweeted at him to be like, weren't you dating a woman who was like 30 years younger than you? And that that's an article that's out there just in time. I was like, look at Army wow. Hammer clapping back at James <laughs> Woods. And now we're just like, we got to delete Twitter. <laughs> Alleged cannibal claps back at James Woods. <laughs> James Woods, who dated a 19-year-old when what he was What a fucking cesspool we live in. <laughs> Horrendous. Horrendous. He might be a cannibal, but he's on the right side of history. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Honestly, though, okay, last thing. Yeah. If I'm James Woods and I believe a bunch of conspiracy theories... And the one Hollywood actor who comes at me on social media is later exposed for potential cannibalism. I'm like, where's the lie, folks? Where's yeah. the lie? <laughs> I've been telling you they're eating flesh. <laughs> Wouldn't that, that's that's confirmation bias. Yeah, yeah. No, that's he, yeah. Army Hammer Called it. is a multi-generational elite from great wealth who's eating people. <laughs> Allegedly. allegedly, let's not get, let's not get, oh. yeah. allegedly. Oh, damn it! <laughs> if you're Woods, you're like, this is it. This is why I've been telling this you. This is exactly <laughs> what we've been saying. Oh, wake up, sheep! Told me this was the truth. <laughs> Open your eyes. Open your eyes. <laughs> okay, I can't. We're done. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. Follow binge movies on Twitter. Vote in the last movie standing poll when it comes out, whenever that is. Just, just for no reason other than I believe in democracy. Uh, <laughs> right, rate the show, review the show, tell a friend, listen to binge movies, subscribe to binge movies on Spotify. Worship binge movies as your new god. <laughs> Buy a binge movie shirt from Threadless. All hail the new flesh. <laughs> oh my god! Please come back for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't unfollow this show. Please. Thank you. Yeah, I don't even want you to mention my Twitter handle this time. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Everything's great. It's done. Just fucking with your father, forget about it.